Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of 219 Green Connect, where we explore topics about the environment and green living in Northwest Indiana. For past show archives, news, and upcoming events, you can check out our website at 219greenconnect.com or join us on Facebook or Twitter. Our ID on both of those is 219 Green Connect. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or anywhere else you may listen to podcasts. I am Kathy Sipple, your host, and with me today I have two very special guests. I have Amanda Cantrell, who is a board member, and Amanda Wanless, who is the founder and executive director at Indiana Phenology. I met Amanda Cantrell just a few weeks ago at Greening the State House, a really wonderful yearly event that's run by the Hoosier Environmental Council, and we we met in a uh, networking session, and I was just very curious. I'd never heard of phenology and immediately wanted to invite her to do a podcast and have the audience learn what is phenology and what does this organization do and how people can get involved. So welcome, Amanda Cantrell. Can you give us a little background on what is phenology and a little bit about, you know, what the organization does? Okay. Uh, Thank you, Kathy. Um, First off, Indiana Phenology is a nonprofit organization focused on collecting phenology data in all 92 Indiana counties. We're building a network of uh, citizen scientists uh, all over the state to help us accomplish this. Uh, You may be wondering what phenology is. So phenology is the study of observable seasonal life cycle changes in nature, such as leafing, flowering, fruiting of plants, or things like migratory behavior, Uh, or reproductive behavior in animals uh, and its relationship to uh, time and climate. Uh, Changes in phenology, like earlier leafing or flowering in the spring that we've been seeing uh, with climate change, uh, are largely driven by temperature. And uh, these changes could be good indicators of climate change impact in our area. Um, These uh, changes have uh, potential to... uh, change interactions of organisms within our environment and have downstream effects on abundance and diversity. So uh, just a top, top line, uh, Indiana Phenology is promoting the collection of this local phenology data uh, to help us understand how the rapidly changing environment is impacting plants, animals, and people here in Indiana. Great. Well, thank you. I'm sure that's a new word for a lot of people, although it was funny. After you introduced me to it, I just was listening to a book on audible.com, and in fact, they, they dropped that term. So it's funny. Once you start hearing something, you hear about it more and more. So, yeah. Amanda, it's, it's actually a newer term uh, for a very oh, old okay. practice. Uh, uh, people have been observing phenology uh, for thousands of years. The Chinese... Uh, uh, started doing it about 3,000 years ago, and uh, uh, recent, uh, more recent, <laughs> not really, it doesn't sound recent, in the 1850s, Henry David Thoreau was, was actually doing phenology at, uh, in Concord, Massachusetts at uh, um, Walden Pond. Okay, and in this book, it was a book by Bill Bryson, and I think he was talking about Thomas Jefferson was... Uh, yeah really, really into this. So, yeah, so interesting to find out more. 
Well, how, yeah. how can Hoosiers get involved? I'd really love for one of you to tell us about, you know, some of your programs. I just this morning went and signed up on your website. It was very easy, and I'm looking forward to seeing um, what will come my way. And it looks like you've got some virtual events that people can join. So please just tell us a little bit about um, how people can get involved and get familiar with some of the resources on your site. Okay, so um, I'm also Amanda, the other Amanda, um, but we, uh, as, as she said, we are collecting this data, and what we really need are citizen scientists, which is just a term for an average person that wants to help out, um, to help us collect phenology data. Basically, what we want is to document what's happening and when, we want to uh, document when things leaf out in the spring. We want to keep track of when they're flowering, when that fruit ripens, and all the way down to when the trees and plants lose their leaves. So we have um, three different programs where we engage people of all ages um, in collecting this data. So we have a program that's called our Indiana Backyard Observers Program that's just for individuals and families who want to observe these seasonal changes, this phenology in local spaces nearby them, so in their backyards or a close-by neighborhood nature space. And then we have another program that's our Indiana Schoolyard Phenology Program that's for schools where we help schools set up observation sites on their school grounds and engage students in collecting this data. They get hands-on experience in doing real science, what it's like to collect the data and um, how to analyze it. And they can put what they are learning in their classroom into practice in, on their local school grounds. Um, and then we have a third program that's our Phenology Trail program. And this is where we help um, different sites like nature centers and parks set up observation sites and engage people um, at those locations and collecting this data. Um, our observers use a free app and um, to collect the data and submit it to us. And basically what they have to do is answer yes or no questions about what they see on a plant on a given day. It's something that even my um, four-year-old is totally competent at participating in. So we ask questions like, do you see leaves on the plant today, yes or no? Do you see flowers? Do you see colored leaves? Do you see um, fruits? Do you see ripe fruits? Do you see falling leaves? And you just go down the line and say yes or no or yes or no to all these questions, and then you hit submit, and that's basically um, the root of our um, program. Very cool. Well, that, that you answered one of my questions, and that would be, you know, do you need any special skills? And if, if a four-year-old can do it, it sounds like pretty much it's wide open that you don't need to have scientific background at all, just like being outdoors and be willing to commit a little time and energy. Um, is, is there any specific commitment to how frequently you visit a particular place or how frequently you report in? Yes, um, ideally our observers would uh, go out weekly. Um, I like to go out more often when we're at like that seasons are changing period. So right about when spring's about to start and full blast, I like to go out more often so that I can catch that very first moment when that 
leaf starts to open or that flower blooms. Um, but weekly is, is a good, is a good um, number of times to go out. We like people to monitor the same plants each time. So in my yard, I have a couple of trees. I have a forsythia um, that's for those beautiful early spring yellow flowers. Um, and I also have some oak trees because I like keeping track of those acorns and how the amount of acorns varies from year to year. Um, but we're happy to take any observations that anyone is willing to help us out with because um, if we don't record it, we don't know for sure what actually happened. We can't look back in time and know what day spring started or what day the leaves started to fall off the trees if somebody is not keeping track of it and writing it down somewhere. So every data point is super, super helpful. It's something that we wouldn't know otherwise. Um, as to yeah, you your comment about it being easy um, and not needing any special skills, the biggest skill you need is curiosity and interest um, and willingness to look closely. So that's just a good skill for anyone to develop and something that uh, I don't know about you, but I certainly um, always can use more practice at being more observant. And there are times when I look at something and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a leaf. And then I look a little closer and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I never noticed exactly those patterns on the leaves. Or I didn't notice how that leaf connected to that branch in just that way and the arrangement. So it's really cool, this program, how you get to look at something closely and then you look again at the same thing and it changes and it's stuff that's going on right under your nose that you just don't even realize or notice. And um, I think it really improves our appreciation for the natural world when we take the time to give it a second look or a third look or look closer. Well, I wholeheartedly agree. I live uh, pretty close to the Indiana Dunes up here in northwest Indiana. And I, you know, not lately. During COVID, it's been a little weird, um, even though the outdoors is a pretty safe and normal place to go. It just seems like travel's been a bit closer to home. So I love the idea of, of taking that same curiosity and applying it right in my backyard. But I would notice when I was going there, you know, a couple times a week, that it could be very different, just as you're saying. And I would typically take photos and post them to Facebook. And now, of course, Facebook has that memories feature. So, you know, I was almost doing some of this on my own, you know, not really considering myself a citizen scientist. But if, if there are those of us out there that already enjoy, enjoy, excuse me, nature photography and have that curiosity, this seems like a really great place to channel, you know, this natural interest. And, and have this data actually contribute to doing something. So that's my follow-up question is, what can you tell us about the data? Like, where does this data go? How does it help you or who else does it help? I think you, on your website it says it helps policymakers, scientists, educators, um, and other stakeholders. So I'm just really curious about that. So there are a couple of different ways to answer that question. Um, I'm going to start with how it helps our individual observers, and I'm going to tell a story um, about how I got into this. Uh, when I moved to Indiana, it's been 10, 12 years now, um, I came from a very different climate. I grew up in a place that was more deserty, definitely not humid like it is here. And so I was so curious about how the timing of things was going to be different 
and I'd try to write it down. And I, I had this notebook where I'd write down what I saw blooming on what days. And I found that I, my plan was, you know, to keep this up all year and have a nice calendar that I could compare from year to year. And I'd go a couple of weeks and I'd be really good. And then I'd be like, I'd lose my notebook or something. And then when I'd want to go back and look at it, I would have a hard time, you know, flipping through. It's like, okay, this is not very organized. I wish this was digital. And um, our program that we use, um, Nature's Notebook, is the platform we use for collecting the data. It is, it solves all of those problems. It keeps track of everything and is in usable ways. So I can use it. And my personal data that I collect, I can go back and look through the web portal at it. Um, it has several visualization tools, so you can make a calendar of the data you've collected um, that shows you when the plants you're following have flowered and fruited and leafed out and all of those different phenophases. That's the term for each of those different states that a plant um, has as, through it go as it goes through its life cycle. So it's got some awesome visualization tools that help the you use your own data, but um, it also, that data goes to a database that um, it's a national database. Uh, what's the word for it? Um, it, it? It's a database of the USA National Phenology Network. And that database is used actively by scientists and researchers across the country and across the world who are studying things like climate change, um, impacts of invasive species. Uh, they're studying bird migration and habits and all sorts of different kinds of things. So the data that people collect goes into that database and is used by scientists. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but I know they had um, dozens of, of scientific uh, articles that were um, published in peer-reviewed journals over the years based on this data that's in this database. Um, then if we think about locally, the data can be used by land managers who want to be able to responsibly manage invasive species. Um, you can use phenophases and when they start to figure out when a plant is going to be most susceptible to different treatments. Um, so if you want to catch a particular invasive species you're trying to get rid of and you want to spray it, but you don't want to harm the other plants that are around it, you want to capture it in that period where it's most susceptible, but before those other plants that you do want to keep around um, have developed and are, are going to be damaged by, by some sort of spray or pesticide or some other um, management technique. So you can use the data to estimate when that window um, is going to be best for management. There are all sorts of different ways that you can use it. Those are just a few. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking this would have broad application for so many things, like, you know, what you're talking about, but even with climate change affecting, uh, you know, what does well in our different planting zones. Up here where I am, we're in zone five. Um, you know, some trees, for instance, are, are successful right now in zone five, but it could be, you know, in the not too distant future that we become a different zone. And if, if you're planting large numbers of trees, like if you're a city arborist or something like that, 
um, you know, you'd, you'd really want to know what's the direction so that you're planting maybe the right trees that are going to be successful for the, the coming trends, something like that. Yeah, and um, the broader uh, the areas that we have participating right now, we have um, people observing in, oh, how many different counties? 24 different counties. The more people that we have observing in different types of areas and different climates and different habitats, the more we'll be able to use that data to make predictions and plan and mitigate the potential impacts that climate change will have on what works and what grows well and in each of our different areas. Right now we have some observers in Porter County, um, but we don't have a whole lot of observers in, in a lot of the counties up in northwestern Indiana, and we would love to be able to have people covering every single county um, because then we can see those trends and we can use the data and it tells us more and is more powerful in helping us make those kinds of decisions for the future. I'll tell you what I'm going to do as soon as this show is uh, available. I'm going to post it out on, on my Facebook and everywhere else, and I'm going to tag um, friends who I've gone through different programs with, like the Indiana Master Naturalist or the Indiana Master Stewardship, um, or excuse me, Master Watershed Stewards, or, you know, uh, I'm like a Indiana mush, Wild Mushroom certified by the Hoosier Mushroom Society. You know, there are a lot of people that are already doing some of these things, and some of them actually have to earn volunteer hours you know, each uh, year or, or to get their certification, that sort of thing. And I'm thinking they, they would be a natural. The mushroom people are already, you know, reporting things like this morel season. My goodness, there are all kinds of morel maps all over the place. So how hard would it be if you're already out there, you know, looking for morels to also look at, at trees or, you know, other, other species that are of interest? So you mentioned plants. Is it, is it also animals too, wildlife? So with Nature's Notebook, you can um, also monitor different types of wildlife. We focus right now on the plants, um, but when you, the way the program works is you, you set a particular site, a location that you're going to go back week after week to monitor. And when you want to monitor animals at that site, there's a checklist of animals, so you would pick which species you're going to look for. And then as you're going through, you would say, do I see this animal, yes or no? And then if you do, there are a couple of other questions that you can answer about the activity of that animal or its development, um, birds as well. So it, it yeah. is all, it's a, it's a whole package. You can do the plants, you can do those animals. There are a few insects. Um, one thing that might be a limitation to some people is that there is a set list of species that you can pick from to monitor. And one reason for that is that this database is used by scientists. So they want things that they're going to be able to collect enough data to make inferences and learn things from. So they're not going to be, you're not going to be able to monitor with nature's notebook, something that's very rare and only located in one spot. Got it. Well, it sounds like a really great opportunity 
And I, I love how you tied in the benefit to the observers as well. I mean, I hadn't even thought of that. I just was thinking of doing it to be, you know, nice and to be helpful for the environment. But I really love the benefit that you mentioned. I think anybody who is into gardening and, you know, I just got a greenhouse this year to try to extend my season, becoming very aware of slight temperature differences and, you know, what those shoulder seasons look like. So I'm, I'm really anxious to get into this myself. I am up here in Porter County and we've got Lake County to the west of me, LaPorte County to the east. So I definitely can reach out to people in those areas and hopefully some of the other surrounding uh, counties as well. So what are your greatest needs right now? If you could ask for anything besides more people, <laughs> what else is it that uh, you need to grow your organization? Well, right now we are involved in a um, crowdfunding campaign um, through a platform called experiment.com that is basically a crowdfunding for science. And our our campaign runs through the January 4th, I believe. And um, we would love to have people donate to our campaign. Um, the more backers we have, the better chance we have of winning more of a $10,000 prize. Um, so we'd love to have people go ahead and back our, our project there. Um, we're also looking for schools that are willing to participate and other locations like nature centers or parks where we could set up public observation sites as well. Um, if people want to donate, they can go to um, experiment.com slash Indiana changes. Thank you. And I realize we haven't given people your website yet. I did include it on the show notes, but why don't we tell people how they can find you both on your website and also any social media sites where you participate. So we are Indiana Phenology on Facebook, and our website is indianaphenology.org. So pretty easy to find us. And just in case you've not seen the word phenology, it is P-H-E-N-O-L-O-G-Y. So indianaphenology.org. Yeah, it, it looks like a really intuitive site, and I'm, I'm anxious to dig in and, you know, get involved. It looks like you've got a newsletter that people can sign up for, and uh, also I see a free webinar that's coming up tomorrow, uh, Phenology and Climate Change, which I think is great. We've got a group up here called Northwest Indiana Climate Action, and I'm, you know, I went through the Al Gore Climate Reality Training, so I've got a lot of people in the climate change space that I, I bet would be very interested in that. So do you do those free webinars pretty uh, frequently as well? That's something new that we're getting into, but definitely if people are interested, we are well, um, willing to add more of those in. Um, we can also present to uh, groups or organizations in the same sort of fashion. So really, um, we're happy to share any of uh, with anyone more about phenology and what it means and how people can get involved. And also on our website, we have different training videos and ways to help people get started um, because we don't want our observers to like sign up and be like, okay, I'm not sure what to do. Um, we're, we very much value communicating with um, people that are interested and helping everybody along because um, we're all in this together. 
Yeah, well, great. I, I want to thank both of you. This is just a really, you know, lovely thing to know about. And I like to document all of the great programs that are out there statewide and available regionally. And just, we've got a few minutes left. I'm just so curious, how did both of you get into this? Amanda, um, Wanless, you said it was you moving from kind of a desert area to here. Was that the beginning of your journey into this data collection, or did you study, you know, climate research or some, you know, what is your background? Um, I, I have, I've always loved plants. We'll go with that. Um, I moved to Indiana to study environmental science and public affairs at Indiana University in Bloomington. So this was just naturally something I was interested in, but it just happened to be a chance um, posting on Facebook where I saw the term phenology. It's a relatively new term to me too, um, but I saw phenology and about um, nature's notebook and I'm like, this is awesome. This is everything that I love about plants and about nature and the data keeping aspect that I get from my science background. Um, so I went looking for phenology data for Indiana and I couldn't find a whole lot. Um, so I thought, hey, why don't I start an organization where we can collect that and we can have a really robust data set for Indiana? Love it. And Amanda Cantrell, how did you end up joining the organization and why were you interested? Well, I've always been uh, a fan of nature. I've, I've lived all over the country and have enjoyed uh, natural spaces wherever I've lived. Uh, I worked for the pharmaceutical industry for 30 years and, and recently retired, and I was looking for ways to um, support uh, environmental uh, activism or, or conservation. And uh, I was uh, intrigued about the, the potential for a, an activity like this to engage the public uh, to become more environmentally conscious, learn a lot more about the environment, and uh, and also develop a conservation mindset through through this through this activity. So, it 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 is an ideal uh, way to engage uh, the general public as well as uh, supplement uh, environmental education for kids in school. I love that. Well, thanks to both of you for sharing your story and just to you know kind of add on and tell you a little bit about me and, and my story, my listeners probably feel like they, they know me, but I keep evolving over time. I started this podcast over 10 years ago, and, and every year I keep learning something new and keep trying something new. And again, with COVID, you know, the spring and summer, we had a lot of time on our hands. Our travel radius was a little um, reined in. So what I did during that time is I con finally converted my front lawn to, um, you know, native plants and I put up some raised beds and that kind of thing. And I ended up certifying my yard through the, um, what is it? The National Wildlife Federation, I believe. And it's just amazing making that, that change to intentionally support wildlife in your yard. I saw species of birds I had never seen. I saw way more hummingbirds. It's just, it became such a more alive place. And so I think it's so amazing what we can just, you know, passively observe, but also what we can do, you know, collectively. I, th I think, wow, if more people change their yards like that, we would have this whole nature corridor, even through a, a pretty normal looking subdivision like the one where I live. So gratefully, my neighbors have been um, <laughs> very tolerant slash supportive of my efforts. And, um, you know, I just think it's it's really cool to, to learn what you're doing 
and look at that intersectionality of what citizens and everyday people can do to be a part of supporting nature through data and through, you know, making some lifestyle changes as well. So we're, we're almost out of time, but I want to thank you again, um, Amanda Wamless and Amanda Cantrell from Indiana Phenology. I hope people will go and visit their website, sign up to get their newsletter, sign up to be a citizen scientist and help with data collection, check out their free webinars. I don't know if that's going to keep, you know, going, but they sure have some, you know, I'm interested in the one that's being offered here soon. Support their crowdfunding campaign if you're able. And let's, as you say, we're all in this together. So let's collect that data, Indiana, and be part of the solution. And thank you. This has been another episode of 219 Green Connect. I'm your host, Kathy Sipple. And if you haven't subscribed yet, hit that subscribe button. You can you know, watch or excuse me, listen to this on iTunes. You can go to 219greenconnect.com and simply listen to the episodes right from the website there if, if you don't know how to subscribe to podcasts or that's not your thing. You don't have to make it complicated. Just go to 219greenconnect.com, click on the player. But if you want to do a deeper dive, we now have over 90 episodes. Um, there's one related to this, I think, on butterfly monitoring that I did probably eight years ago that if you're interested in this, you might also be interested in that. Okay, that's all the time we have for now. So we're going to go ahead and say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.